The Guardian. Hello there, this is The Guardian Football Weekly Extra, the Champions League. No cliches here as Wiley Juve used their classic Italian ways to end Spursy Spurs dreams. Experience counts for Real Madrid over PSG and Liverpool and City wander through in second legs virtually no one noticed. We'll round up the midweek action from the Football League, look ahead to the Europa League and this weekend's Premier League action. As always, your questions, feedback corner and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly Extra. Hello, John Bruin. Hi, Max. How are you? All right, yeah. Good, I'm pleased. Uh, hello, Barry Glendenning. Good morning. Um, uh, avid readers of the rumour mill will have discovered it was 25 minutes late this morning and is entirely your fault, Barry. That's correct. I overslept and I apologise to everyone. <laughs> Jonathan Wilson. Morning. Another, I last saw you at 2am uh, as I left the Vauxhall Astra estate and wandered into my house. Since then, you've had a worse I've journey. Been, yeah, I've been more late Oh, brilliant. So, yeah, coming back from Manchester on Sunday, uh, lots of trains cancelled, uh, a train stuck at Hadfield. So I was going up from Manchester to Sunderland, uh, tried to cut across to Sheffield, and that train was also delayed, and I missed a connection in Sheffield, and had to stay overnight in Sheffield, so I got home 13 hours late. However, thanks to John, I uh, stayed in a, a very nice, uh, very cheap hotel quite near the station. Do you own a, a set of hotels in the north? No, I'm just... Uh uh, my previous employer sent me to various small towns and cities, and I know all the hotels in it, every one of them. Oh, marvellous. I'm now beginning to understand how people who weren't involved <laughs> in a very long expedition might be bored listening to the details of them, and I would like to formally apologise to everyone for last Thursday. <laughs> me too. I'm, I'm more polite than you, so I didn't want to mention how bored I was by Jonathan's anecdote, but I agree with you well, hardly. I would like to rescind last Thursday's podcast. Um, right. Oh, Spurs. Oh, Barry, I'm sad about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a general sense of ennui, presumably not among Arsenal fans, but everyone else, in in a way that there isn't about PSG. You know, everyone's delighted they're out. Everyone's kind of sad for Spurs, but uh, they got mugged, I think. They probably should have gone through. Uh, The two early goals they conceded in the first leg really came back to bite them. And uh, it's probably trite to say that it was a lack of big game experience but when you see who beat them and how I don't see where else you can lay the blame Uh, Paul asks this question with Spurs 1-0 up and cruising was the prospect of Juve winning 2-1 simultaneously the most unexpected and predictable outcome (laughs) of a football match this season Jonathan yeah I think in a sense it was Um, what was noticeable was after half time Juve were much more physical I think it was a, a definite message had gone out to kind of yeah, kick him about a bit. And there seems to be a there's two really bad tackles on Deli Ali, and he then I think he's actually slightly unlucky to get booked, but I don't think it's insignificant that he then reacted by getting booked. And then after a quarter of an hour of that, Allegri makes the two changes. Suddenly you've got Licksteiner managing to actually run playing on the right run Barzagli, and as soon as he gets forward, that cross leads to the equaliser. But Barzagli, I mean, Barzagli should have been sent off in the first half, quite obviously, and also. Juve should have had a penalty in the first half, quite obviously. And I would say generally, I know, and, and I, I agree with Barney generally on this, I think refereeing is an incredibly boring thing to talk about. But that refereeing was awful last night. I think that's as bad a refereeing as I've seen in a European game in, I don't know, a decade. Would you agree with that, John? Well, I, 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 I agree with Jonathan in that it should have been a penalty in the first half uh, for Juventus and Marzagli should have been sent off. I'm not sure I would say that's the worst refereeing display. It's, I would have said it's probably the worst refereeing display I've seen since since last week or whatever. Because <laughs> I think those are two massive and obvious decisions that like I cannot believe anybody in the stadium didn't see those as they happened. Think, oh, that's a penalty. Well, that's, oh, that's a Barry's. Um, Barry's the fifth official does something when he always says they do, they do something. When Jan Vertonghen tripped Douglas Costa a yard away from him, he definitely didn't press his little buzzer, did he? No, he I don't think so. Though. I mean, I was, I was, I was. It happened to be right in my eye line, and he, he was a little because I was just sort of waiting for the penalty to be given, and sort of a, oh, why is he not giving it? And then looked at the fifth official, and, and there was a little, little shake of the head. So he he did give a decision. He just got it wrong. <laughs> um, I wondered if Spurs got complacent. I don't think they started complacent, but. 
because the, it was so easy for them for 60 minutes and they played so well in the first leg after the first sort of 10 minutes that they thought, well, we're just going through now. I was about to send a tweet about how Chiellini just is, wants to should join a Vets team and I'm pleased my phone ran out of batteries because <laughs> I'm look really stupid because they were so much better. Yeah, and I think what happened, I think also that there was that, that air of overconfidence might have got into them by the fact that Juventus looked to have completely lost it with the tackles that they were throwing in. It reminded a little of Verratti the previous night for PSG, pretty much throwing it in and committing a bad tackle, being sent off. But you've got to suspect that there was some element of plan with Juventus in that they essentially let a bit of air out of the game, um, let Tottenham relax a little bit, okay, and then seize the chance within three minutes and then lock the back door. Now, a team that haven't lost a game for three months have won, is it six titles in a row now, closing in on the seventh? They know how to win, and they'll have been in several situations where they'll have had to change things around. And Allegri is a, one of those managers that is capable of making the changes, and he brought on Asimov, Lichsteiner and all that. And they knew how to get the job done, and I think at this point we should maybe consider Tottenham's naivety and it's a naivety that I've seen a couple of times. Um, the game against Chelsea when they were going for the title two seasons ago, in that game they were 2-0 up, cruising. The other team gives them a bit of niggle. It all went wrong. And then last season against West Ham, they lost 1-0 on a Friday night, blew their own title challenge. There is something about Spurs. Chiellini alluded to it afterwards in an interview, which was pretty much a, a reprise of Roy Keane's Lads, It's Tottenham. And... Juve uh, were able to seize on that, and that's why Tottenham are in the, the Champions I think, I think League you anymore. Even say this season, the three-two defeat at West Ham in the um, uh, the League Cup. Yeah, again, again, where they seem to have totally under control. A couple of tackles go in, and suddenly they they lose their shape. Uh, and even you know, it, Spurs' defensive record looks good. If you look at how many goals they can see this season, it's it's not many, but. Like City, like Liverpool, you know that if you put them under pressure, yeah, they are vulnerable. And so, you know, when they lost four-one to City, well, you so yeah, you look at you look at their goals conceded. You think, oh, they're a good defensive team. You look at them, that City game; they're not a good defensive team. And I think that will be what is really frustrating for Spurs is that both goals, that all four goals over two legs, were totally avoidable. Why? Why do you like this? Is obviously a thing now. You know, Spurs wilt under a bit of physical pressure why haven't they learned you know at what when do you become experienced enough to to not do that well there's two things one of them um one of the things is that Pochettino is a a much admired manager um but does he have that extra bit that takes him into being a winning manager and that's the ability to learn those situations take the air out of the game like Allegri thing and is though sorry to interrupt but as a player he was a hard bastard you know and yes. very street wise yeah. you would expect the same thing from his team but also look at the players that he's got they're young callow there aren't many hugely experienced players in there I mean Dembele is 30 30 but you'd say he's a pretty much a late developer um, the way that Tottenham is run, the way that they run the club, they're not able to bring in veterans like in a way that, say, Jose Mourinho brings in Matic or something like that. Tottenham don't run their team around that. And look at the way Juventus, like, they bring on Lichsteiner. I mean, I sat with Jonathan, it seems like almost a decade ago, and they brought on Lichsteiner to change a game against Chelsea. Juventus just have that, I suppose, that, that squad, that group of players that can do that, and then... Beyond what Tottenham have as a first team, they don't have players that could have come on and locked the game down for them. How good is Chiellini? Because he's, I mean, his interview afterwards, what he's, you know, came across so brilliantly and he, he gave a great tribute to David Astori as well. On the pitch, he's, if you are supporting the other team, he's sort of unbearable. But he, he does all these kind of last-ditch blocks and you, then you, you hear he's brilliant, but then if you're constantly having to do this sort of heroic last-ditch thing, are you in the right place? Or you're in the right place at the last minute? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a fair point, and I don't actually think he was very good for the first hour yesterday. I think he was thought he was superb last half hour, but I thought he looked... I mean, there was a, um, there was a chance uh, Harry Kane had early on where he just sort of shrugged him off, and you sort of thought, oh, he's gone. You know, Kane, Kane's got the better of him. Um but I think that's actually a, a, a general a general concern for Juve that 
uh, for long spells of both legs, Tottenham physically intimidated them. So although they sort of kicked their way back into the game, Tottenham looked quicker, they looked fitter, they looked stronger. Um, and it's hard to, to to look at those two games and think that that's that Juve were the team that were unbeaten in 21, who'd only, con- yeah, who'd only conceded to Tottenham and I think Verona in those 21 games. It didn't look... No. I mean, for all we're praising Juve, for all we're praising Allegri for turn- changing the game, Tottenham could easily got back into that. They could easily have equalised. You know, they had the, the Ericsson chance was affected just wide. There was the sudden chance that uh, you know, went just wide the post. And then the Kane, I mean, Kane was offside, another bad decision. Uh, but that chance to hit the post was, a, you know, what, half an inch from going in. Because you watch that and you think City or Liverpool would fancy, would want Juve. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Well, are, yeah, are we yeah. saying that the better team lost and... That's well, I think so. Because I think there, I might there be would biased. be no shame in going out to Juventus, particularly. But I think Spurs fans will, will look at those two legs and go, "Oh, we left that behind." You know, should have well, gone. I, th- I think that's true. I don't think it was shame in going out. I don't think it was a kind of a, a, a bottle job. I don't think they collapsed. They just met a team that's really good at sort of uh, snaffling half chances. And one of the things you have to do is to kind of prevent those half chances to come. So it's a bit like, um, yeah, Alex Ferguson. Uh, after the, the defeat to Real Madrid in 2003-2 defeat in, at Old Trafford, having drawn 0-0 at the Bernabeu. Um, was that the quarter-final in 2000? Or the, I think it was the second must- round, actually. But it was one of those where it was you had two second rounds, you had two groups, and then you go into a but the, to the second group went into a quarter-final. I think it was the quarter-final. So if you look back at that game now, you know the, the, the sort of memory of the time and the, sort of the way it was reported was, oh, yeah, United incredibly naive, Real Madrid picked them off. Watch the game now. United batter them. Absolutely batter yeah. them. It could it could have been like 9-3. And Karanka should have been sent off in that game as well. Um, but that kind of is the point. You can't allow... You know, you're better off having five chances in the opposition none than having 15 chances in the opposition two. If you have 15 chances in the opposition two, you'll probably win, but you're giving them a chance. If you have five and they have none, you're not giving them a chance. Well, I suppose if you look at Spurs' Champions League history, you know, very recent, they were woeful... And now they've had a year where they've beaten Dortmund, they've beaten Real Madrid, they've drawn in Turin, they've drawn at the Bernabeu. Actually, there is progress. Oh, there's there. definitely progress. Yeah. I mean, compare yeah. that to going out to Ghent last year, it was you know, night and day. But I mean, they, they can definitely see it, you know, taking a big stride forward. But, you know, they, they, and I think the, the lessons to be learned aren't actually that, um, you know, they're pretty obvious what they are. David asked this question. We applaud Juve's defensive masterclasses, brilliant Italian tactics. Mourinho does it. He's boring and is parking the bus. Hashtag media agenda and an emoji of a bus, John. Um, oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's always about Man United, isn't it? Um, I, I think, actually, there's a lot of Manchester United fans have a problem with Pochettino's image as compared to their own massively charming manager. Um <laughs> And I think I think the difference is that uh, Mourinho's been around a long time, and we've got bored of him. Pochettino's in this position at the moment, uh, slightly in a position of this idea of jam tomorrow, where the team's progressing. Eventually, they're going to be great. Um, and I, funnily enough, I think that Pochettino, knowing him a little bit as I do, having been to lots of press conferences and all that, I think he'd like to be like the Mourinho, the Allegri-style manager, but he perhaps hasn't got there just yet. Um, and there is a lot of that in football at the moment, that sort of manager that's where there are those managers that promise a lot and then there are those managers that just say, I just do results. And I think at the moment Pochettino is in the promising a lot camp, but he wants to be in the Mourinho, just just look at my trophy cabinet. Um, we were discussing before the pod, me and producers Mel and Jonathan, about people leaving early there are games where you think you know I went to the Spurs Huddersfield game I wouldn't blame anyone for leaving a half time frankly but how can you leave at that moment in that game it was, could be your team's biggest ever European tie or biggest tie biggest European tie since 1984 we're all agreed yeah well I've, I've never well, I mean, leave games it, it, early it is annoying kind of getting to Wembley Park that, that is annoying yeah that big queue I think the line was, I think it's Danny Baker came up with this one, which was something like, you know, would you leave a murder mystery before the killer was unmasked? <laughs> it's true, but 
to be fair, when you leave a murder mystery, you're right. You don't have that cue where you get stopped so many times <laughs> before you get to the tube station. Um, anyway, well done to Juventus. They're through, as are Real Madrid. Um, they won uh, 2-1 at PSG. L'Equipe uh, ran the headline. All that for this. Uh, inside the paper, the main column says last year was better. At least there was suffering. There was feeling. This year, nothing but hot air. They disappeared without a trace. Uh, Barry, how bad were they in, in this game? Um, pretty, it was a very feeble effort. You know, they're, this is a very expensive toy box. And you kind of wonder what what is the point of PSG? You know, if they're not going to win the Champions League, which is obviously what they're trying to do. Why? Why are they even there? Why do they exist? Um, but I mean, there is a there is a mitigating factor. So they drew Real Madrid, a bit like Spurs drew Juventus. It, it, the I draw don't think it is a, a mitigating factor because the, their effort against Real Madrid was absolutely pathetic, and all this money has been put into PSG, and they they buy these expensive signings. I mean, they are very similar to Real Madrid in in what they both are. It's just. Madrid have a, a more of a history, I suppose, but they consistently, year after year after year, fail to perform in the Champions League at the sharp end, and it's monotonously predictable uh, and and very funny. Just like you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> except I'm not very funny. Oh, no, it's OK, Barry, I think you are. Jonathan? Well, I mean... Yeah, it's Real Madrid, but it's 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 a name. Yeah, they're fourth in Spain. They they finished second in the group behind Tottenham. Yeah, why, why why would if you're a great club, why would you be scared of that? Why would you be scared of a team that's fourth in Spain? I don't think it's a difficult draw this season. Okay, so Emery has to go. I th- well, I think Neymar has to go. I blame Neymar for everything. Um, <laughs> Literally everything. Well, okay. The the they keep uh, report you're reading there. So l- last year, at least there was. What was it? Effort, suffering, mm-hmm. and suffering presumably in the sort of Latin sense of st- struggling and working hard, rather than the British sense of being in pain. Just living, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's that's completely true. They were worse this year. After after all this investment, after spending two hundred twenty million euros on Neymar, after spending one hundred hundred sixty million. I mean, euros, Neymar wasn't playing. That yes, was an issue, yes, but, but my but point is, he's made them worse by by turning up and then disappearing. They've become dependent upon him. His his presence has cast a shadow over everybody. He 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 has become this sort of this toxic force that has sapped the life from everybody else at that club. There's so many little cliques. And you know, you um it's that moment in the first half when Danny Alves played played the ball through from Bappe and if he'd squared it, you know, he had an open goal. And he didn't. He he took on a shot from a narrow angle. So like he's been infected by this selfishness. Yeah, the, the the it's it's the the club is not a proper you know it's, it's not a team it's a series of individuals, and Neymar is the 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 apogee of that. Yeah, I don't think you can have a, a football club um, where one of your players lives like some sort of I don't know spoiled prince region in the Austro-Hungarian Empire or something like that. You know, it's just and I don't know if it's the way that that the owners are. You know, coming from Qatar with a royal family, just like he's the favourite, he's the sort of king of the court or something like that. It's, it's like Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, it's mm. it's just this. I, I was going to say Blackadder. <laughs> yeah, I mean um, Diego Torres, the the guy from El País, who's you know written all of these stories about Neymar, which are weird and wonderful. Uh, says Al Khalafi, who is the guy that runs PSG, refuses even to consider the sale of Neymar. On the contrary, he wants to give him more power in the belief he will be happier and more loyal. Well, what could possibly go wrong there? But also PSG have now got themselves in this paradoxical situation where I think they're going to continue to do that. They've, they've, they've invested so much in Neymar that they think you know, build up Neymar's role, which is actually going to make things worse. So what's their other solution? They spend even more money. You spend even more money you get even more cliques in the squad, even more egos. You also hammer everybody in France even more easily. And so you know, you're winning 8-0 against Dijon or Montpellier or whoever, and then you come up against somebody half-decent in the Champions League, and they've got no idea how to compete, how to, how to suffer. I, I did have a solution to that, actually, which is that if Qatar funds all the rest of the other teams in France... <laughs> yes, I know, that's true, that would work. And, ..and gives them, you know, makes them better, just, you know, gives them, I don't know... A, a, 
enough money to be good, but not quite as good as PSG, <laughs> then that could make a... And, and then they could be feeder clubs for PSG as yeah. well. I think so what, the, the, the league table is PSG, PSG B, PSG C, yeah. PSG D. <laughs> well, you'd hope so. If something's going wrong, maybe... Maybe PSG D could have a run. <laughs> yeah, and if, and, if, and if players actually turn out to be good, then it's like, well, we know where you're going, son. You know, but they can't buy anyone more expensive than Neymar because then Neymar will be sad. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Well, maybe you could just give him even more money and put on a four-day party for his birthday rather than a three-day party. Um, uh, it's, it's almost as if football is kind of fractured and broken. <laughs> see, did this you, is the moment see, we've discovered that. Did you see Xavi's uh, comments about Neymar? No. Well, you know how Xavi's kind of can be quite caustic about things that aren't exactly the Barcelona model. It turns out that when when a man is being sort of paid to play in Qatar, it turns out he's very sympathetic to Neymar. Maybe he's just had a change of heart, what Jonathan. What did he say? Oh, Neymar's a great player, and the criticism's ridiculous, and you have to have privileges for for good players. But Neymar's a prince regent; you have to respect. Well, him. yeah, yeah. Um, it was just such a you know the contrast between that interview. And some of the interviews Xavi's given about Real Madrid recently was the change of tone was extraordinary. Um, what, do you think PSG would have been, and it's purely hypothetical, would have been actually worse if he'd played in that game? Well, he is a very good footballer. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, there's, there's every possibility that he, he might have done something brilliant in the first leg. But I, I thought I thought he's pathetic in the first leg, just dribbling down blind alleys, you know, not playing passes that he should have played. Everything was about him. And like partly that's the pressure that's on him. You know, he is expected to do everything, and it's the same same problem he's got with Brazil. But in fact, the, the, the comparison with Brazil in 2014, I think, is a is a very apt one. That that Brazil team that lost seven one to Germany played that badly because Neymar had existed and then had stopped existing. If Neymar had never existed, they would have played better. We can't erase a man from no, but, history. But, but hang, Real, Real I, I think if anybody could, the Qatari royal family could. <laughs> he, he was the only player worth anything though in that team though for, for most of the tournament oh in terms of how they played in the tournament yeah, yeah the, rest but, but the whole, whole point was everything became set up around him yeah, like yeah. Oscar's a good footballer I know we've forgotten it because he's gone to China yeah but you know, Oscar was sort of wandering around watching Neymar do things wondering if the ball would ever come to him yeah I mean they did have players like Marcello Dani Alves and all the rest of it Thiago Silva David Luiz and Fred uh, but yeah even Freddie might be good if, if Neymar weren't there. What, what, what if Freddie's actually a good footballer, destroyed by the myth of Neymar? Um, how far can Real Madrid go? You just said you know they're fourth in the league. They're... I don't think they're very good. I don't, I don't okay. think Juve are very good. I don't think football's very good at the moment. Who is good? Nobody. Nobody. No, because like City and Liverpool, who look really good going forward, are incredibly defensively vulnerable. So you wouldn't you wouldn't kind of have any faith in them. Barcelona don't look as good as they. I mean, uh, I criticised them in that Chelsea game and got a load of flack. Uh, by people who kind of you know, don't recognise saying this team, saying that this team isn't as good as they were three years ago, it's not saying they're terrible. But they're obviously a lot more defensive under Valverde, and yet Chelsea had I don't know half a dozen decent counters that they didn't seem able to stop. Uh, they're really struggling because of Busquets' lack of pace. I think anybody can win it. Cause are I don't you, are you stating emphatically, for the record, that Bayern Munich are going to win the Champions League? I would not at all be surprised, and Louis van Gaal thinks Bayern Munich are going to win the Champions League. Uh, City lost at home to Basel, but they'd done the job. Uh, it's their first defeat at home since 2016. Uh, and Liverpool went through with that goal of straw against Porto after being 5 0 up in the first leg. I, I had to watch that. Did you? And did you have a nice time? No. Oh. It was uh, very boring. I will uh, a tip of the hat to the travelling 3,000 Porto fans who did not stop singing and bouncing up and down from start of the match till long after the final whistle uh, which is quite an effort when your team is 5-0 down and absolutely going out of the tournament but in a way if you know you're definitely going out you can relax can't yeah. you if you're 1-0 down there's actually something riding on the game um, um, that Liverpool Porto game uh, Casillas got some sort of you know hero's reception didn't he from the cop uh, yeah, that famously knowledgeable cop. Half. Well, because they know he hates Mourinho, maybe. I, no, I think you know they, they recognise a, a, a great player when they see one, or in Jeff Winter's case, <laughs> a great referee. You know, um, does anyone see Andrew Robertson's um, lovely letter that he sent to a young fan? Yes, uh, yes, it was no. great. This young lad called Alfie uh, donated his pocket money 
to a food bank and Andrew Robertson saw it and sent him a letter, uh, quite a long letter, but at the end it says, look, anyway, the point of this letter, you've done something amazing for other people and expected nothing in return for it. Because of that, I wanted to make sure it's rewarded. I've got one of Roberto Firmino's match shirts from this season, asked him to sign it for you by way of a thank you for what you did to the food banks. Let's be honest, Alfie, no one wants the left back shirt, (laughs) which is why I got Bobby's instead. Hope that's okay. Uh, Which is, it's just brilliant in every way. And, he has been sensational on the pitch as well because I was really surprised when Klopp didn't go for him when Moreno was getting so much stick earlier. Uh, and he's been a, a, a huge part of a Liverpool team where we only really focus on those front three players. I, I did fear for him. I, I watched quite a lot of him at Hull and my observation was always that he was quite good going forward and quite vulnerable defensively. And he might still be at Liverpool. We, we don't know that. But um, And then he went missing. But I suppose he... Jurgen Klopp bided his time with him and let's call that good management we will Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's kind of similar wasn't it it clearly takes a while to bed into the the Klopp way of doing things one of the reasons why I feared for Andy Robertson is that I went to an England-Scotland game a few years ago and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain gave him a hell of a run around which when the Ox was not a great player at the time and I, I thought uh, Robertson isn't that great defensively, but you know, obviously there's there's a player, there's two players there. So again, see that's kind of the Wilson thing of you, you see a player once and form your judgment, and that judgment. And that's a Bandini. Change. That's a Bandini theory. Is it a Bandini? Yeah. I thought it was a Wilson theory. Uh, I certainly agree with it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've expressed no, it. You've got to credit Bandini with the the first time you see a player. That's how good they are. Producer Jonathan says maybe Andrew Robertson's been practising against Oxlade-Chamberlain and that's why he's got so good. Maybe, that's a good point, Jonathan. Uh, Liverpool go to Manchester United's early kick-up on Saturday. We will look ahead to that. And back at their thrilling win at Crystal Palace on Monday at the start of part two. Welcome back to part two. Uh, Before we get on to the football, we have a live show in Belfast on April the 17th, the day before my birthday, Barry. Uh, Dale writes... Tickets bought for the Belfast live show. My wife said to me, I bought you Ellie Goulding tickets. What have you done for me? I quaffed. I've bought you Barry Glendenning tickets. (laughs) She made no reply. Um, And we've got the Copenhagen show uh, on the 10th of May, same day as the Danish Cup final. Uh, The quarterfinals are coming up next month. Stay tuned for a full preview. Is there a full preview in this pod? Thank God for that. Are we going to the Danish Cup final? If you'd oh, like I'd to, Barry. To. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, okay, then. So come to those if you're in or near Belfast or Copenhagen. Uh, right, let's uh, uh, look back at Monday. Uh, Manchester United were 2-0 down to Crystal Palace and won 3-2. And I don't know, just the way the Crystal Palace players sort of crumpled <laughs> to the floor when Matic's goal went in, it made me feel a bit sick for them, John. Um, Roy Hodgson... Uh, in a good position in the game and looking to hang on making no subs and then them losing badly and everyone crumbling to the floor and him his face crumpling into I don't know what we've seen that before haven't we <laughs> um, yeah I, I put this down actually to uh, okay Crystal Palace have a, a lot of injuries and uh, things aren't going well for them but uh, they could have at least got a point out of that game and they will bitterly regret that. I don't think we can talk about this as a a revival of the Manchester United comeback habit that a few people have talked about it. I think Palace ran out of legs, and I actually fear for them in the relegation battle. Yeah, I mean, I think if you'd said, OK, you'll get a point as long as... And, and you've got one kick left and it's Matic that far out. He does that, what, once a year? Yeah. So I think you'd take it, wouldn't you? You'd say, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, you, you would. I mean, I, I guess you have to give United credit, but you do sort of think. Uh, it's, I was sort of reminded of a line of Matthew Engels. It's a bit like when you find out a mate of yours has been made head of the prison library. You want to say well done, but mainly think, how on earth did you get in that place in the first? <laughs> yeah, to start with. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, well done to them for having the spirit to come back and Lukaku looked sharp again. But how do you end up going two 0 down to a really depleted Palace? I think that's the the worry. Is the prison library cushy gig? There's uh, a line Matthew Engel wrote in 1978, so it probably was in those days. It's good for. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's good job in- I'd like most in the, in the prison. 
in Shawshank, you know, it's good for him, isn't it? For Tim Robbins. What yeah. job would you want in, in, a, in a prison? I'd like to be in the kitchen. Would you? You've access to the knives. <laughs> what do you want to do? Kill people. That's, just because you're in prison doesn't, doesn't mean you have to go around extending your sentence, Barry. Surely, if you're missing the civil prison years, <laughs> surely good behaviour is a good idea, and then you get out. I did five years in boarding school. I could do time standing on my head. And what? Go around with a shank, killing people? Well, no, I meant more for protection. I oh, wasn't okay. just going to kill people willy nilly. <laughs> I see. You and want- other people want knives, so you know it's currency. Oh, okay. Is that, is that what you traded in at boarding school? Was that how you... What? Steel? <laughs> did, did, you, did you get a cushy job doing the washing up at boarding school and then use that to distribute knives? No, no. It was, uh, money and cigarettes were the currency, really. Well, like prison. Well, money is currency, I mean. Well, yes. <laughs> United play Liverpool uh, early kickoff. I just can't... Work. I'm trying to work out what I think will happen in this game and I find it almost... Impossible to tell. Uh, Jonathan, you're good at writing previews for football matches. I, I've, I've previewed that very game today. It was a real struggle. What um, do you think? Well, there's, just, there's something strange going on, isn't there? That kind of, you sort of, instinctively you think Liverpool are having a good season and United aren't having a great season. Now you look at the league table and it turns out United are two points ahead of them. And you sort of think, well, well why is the perception so contrary to that? And partly it's your know, expectation where the, you know, that United are obviously used to winning the league in a way that Liverpool aren't anymore. You look, it's to do with expenditure that you know, Mourinho spent in net two hundred sixty million since he arrived. In that time, Liverpool made a four million pound profit, so that obviously kind of affects how you, how you look at things. But it, it's a bit, you know, it's, it's it's a bit like uh, what John was saying earlier about Pochettino and the Jam Tomorrow idea. But Liverpool can at least see where they're going. There's a sense of kind of development and progress, and they have been better this season than they were last season. You have a squad is deeper, it's more varied. They haven't had that rash of injuries in, in January because all the players were knackered um, but last season they finished seven points ahead of United and I don't think they're going to do this season so that, that, that there's a sort of a there's a tempering there that I think needs to go on um, but United I think if, I don't really understand how they're still second because they've been terrible every time I've seen them Do we take stock in the fact Liverpool are just more fun than Manchester United well, or is it the media agenda? That, that was my fifth paragraph that there is an issue of fun and then maybe that's particularly relevant this season because the title was, was done in yeah, November, December time that everybody's known you're not going to win the title. You know, those teams are no longer fighting for, for that. But Chelsea have fallen away, so not qualifying for Champions League is no longer an issue. So what actually are you playing for? And if it's not enjoyable... Well, I, I think back to um, what we always talk have to talk about Sir Alex Ferguson at this point. In, in seasons where United were not going to win the title, he would start to experiment a little bit and, so, and in the running and would try and... Try things out. I remember, I think it was a 2005 6 campaign. He started getting the best out of Ronaldo towards the end of that season. And But you don't get the impression that Jose Mourinho is going to set off on some flight of experimental football, despite the fact that the top four is pretty much nailed down. It's going to be a grind till the end of the season. And that's the problem when you talk about United. They're in second, but it's second, it's, it's nowhere. So they could still win the Champions League. Yeah, they could. And that, that's the one thing that would salvage what's otherwise been a pretty forgettable season. Salvage is well, yeah, probably I mean, an unfair verb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I think yeah, this season, if you're a United fan, in 10 years, what will you remember about this season? Don't you remember anything about Matic it? Matic's winner. No, even, yeah, you know, Matic's I mean, winner at Sellers Park. I mean, yeah. it's, a team yeah. who hadn't beaten them since 1991. It, it's true. I mean, the thing is, though, you, with Mourinho, that's one of the problems, isn't it? You're still waiting for that keynote Mourinho performance. Yeah, and I mean, at, least with, at, at least with Liverpool and Klopp, there's a sense of there is a plan. Yeah, and yeah, you know, okay. Some of the signings were made at the start, perhaps were a bit questionable. Recent signings have been very good, and you can see what they've added to the squad. But every United signing just seems to be, you know, oh, there's a hole here. We'll, we'll hammer another bit of steel over that. And even this switch to four three three, it seems to have come about randomly. It doesn't seem to have been part of a kind of coherent. Yeah, you know, if you're going to move to four three three. Why do you suddenly do it in the middle of February after you've had a row with Pogba? Why, you know, if, if Sanchez was bought to play in a 4-3-3, why wouldn't you switch to 4-3-3 as soon as Sanchez comes in? The one thing I would say is that uh, United's turnaround came as soon as he took off that Scottish lad, Scott McTominay, who, <laughs> as soon as he declared himself Scottish on Monday, became 
United's worst player on the pitch. Yeah, they did go forty-three one at half time, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So but none of us would be surprised if they won one nil, would we? No, no. no. Anyway, well, good luck to them. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> football league time. Uh, the race for promotion hotting up in the championship. Leaders Wolves won three nil at Leeds. Uh, they've got eleven games left, ten point advantage over Villa in third. Uh, did anybody read the Leeds owners' tweets? After the game, Andrea Radrizzani, no. uh, he's questioned the legality of the link-up between Wolves and George Mendes. I think he, quite a few clubs have flagged that. I, I don't like talking about Wolves because Wolves fans are always getting cross at me for things. Sometimes I deserve it, other times I don't. But um, Let's yeah. hope you don't get sent to prison and then kill all the prisoners. Uh, this is what Rad Ritzani said um, on Twitter. We have our own problems, but we should play in a fair competition, not legal and fair to let one team owned by a fund who has shares in the biggest players agency with evident benefits. Uh, top European clubs giving players with options to buy while the other 23 teams can't have the same treatment. We should play all 24 with the same rules and opportunities. Uh, congratulations to the best team, but hope the league can be fair and equal to all 24 teams. Are Wolves doing anything illegal? I think it's been, it's clearly been looked at, but they haven't found anything as yet. I think the thing is that, remember, third-party ownership is now illegal uh, by FIFA statute, and this is seen as one of the ways around it, uh, is essentially you just go in and have a club lock, stock and barrel, and uh, therefore you have a home for your your players. Um I think the point you allude to is that in the spirit of the game, almost certainly not. Are there worse owners in, in Britain? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it, do you reckon? I mean, it may have happened before in a less obvious way, or not. Well, I mean, that's that's why it becomes a sort of ethical grey area. That um, yeah, there's obviously always been managers who have favoured certain agents, and that's completely reasonable, right? You know, if if you're thinking, Christ, we need a right back. Where am I going to get a right back? I've only got you know one point five million. And your agent goes, actually, there's this kid in Norway we've been looking at. Do you, do you, do you want to you know, do you want to have a look at him? Do you want to take him on trial? And you trust that agent. That's a completely reasonable way of doing business. And I know we would object to that. But then there are times when you you start to suspect agents of parking players at clubs. And I think we all know managers who we think have been guilty of that. It may not entirely be coincidence. I mentioned Norway there. Um and there's the link up between Doncaster and uh, William Mackay, wasn't there? Okay, you should probably leave it there, but yeah. There was a link up between Doncaster and William Mackay. I'm That's not true. sure how formal that was. I'm not sure. Well, it wasn't very successful. Um, they think they got relegated at the end of that season, yeah. yeah. Um, who are we allowed to like, right? Because if Wolves, we can't like Wolves now. We can't like Man City. We can't like PSG. We can't like. Is there any team we can like? Macclesfield Town. Top of the Vanarama, that there. Okay. Where does their money come from? Is it all fine? Uh, uh, at the moment, it's crowdfunded by the people in my hometown. So, okay. Yeah. So that's the that's who we get behind. That's yeah. the highest up the pyramid that we feel is a is a legitimate. I think Sunderland's ownership is like evil. It's just totally inept. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. true. That's true. And if um, they were evil, it'd be quite good if evil people were that inept because it would mean that evil would never sort of triumph. <laughs> um, uh, we'll get to the bottom of. Championship in just a second. Cardiff are six points off Wolves uh, after they held on to a, a 2-1 win over Barnsley. Uh, Villa are third. They won 3-0 at Sunderland. Uh, Lewis Graben opening the scoring against his former club. Did you see? Have you seen that extraordinary stuff at Lewis Graben? That he played against five former clubs this season, scored against them all, and also scored against a future club because he scored four Sunderland against Villa. It's oh, a great stat. Uh, Sunderland now bottom four points adrift of safety. They've got ten games left to save their championship status. Uh, Jonathan Barry, any thoughts? We're doomed. Uh, Get it over with. I quite like Sunderland to replace the seats in the Stadium of Light. Because with what? New red seats. Okay. Because they just look so sad. Those pinky white, sun bleached. But do you used think to be weird? red? How seats. on earth? How on earth have seats in Sunderland got sun bleached? Well, <laughs> well that's because they haven't changed them since 1996. Uh, 97. Seven. Yeah. Uh, producer Mel says, 97, Norwich are the first team to win there. Daryl Such, 1-0, I was there. And that was the day Dana died. Was it? Yeah. Because oh. I was at a 21st birthday party in Derbyshire, so I missed that game. And then uh, I, I fell into a drunken sleep under a table tennis table. 
Somebody had heard Dino died on the car radio, came in, and I sat up sharply and cut myself above the eye on the strut of a table tennis table. The untold cost of that <laughs> night in Paris. Goodbye, England's Rose. <laughs> uh, Comedy, of- tragedy plus time. I think enough time has elapsed. But um, I think Chris Coleman said Sunderland need to win five of their last ten games to stay up. That isn't going to happen. No, they've won five all season. And, yeah. uh, Fulham are on fire, though. They beat Sheffield United 3-0. Uh, that's after beating Wolves and Derby. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic scored twice. Five in four games for him. Uh, Fulham now only a point behind Villa, having played a game more. Sorry, could I just... Jonathan, do you think Chris Coleman's getting an easy ride? Um... I, I, I mean, how, how do you judge him? He, is has have Sunderland improved fractionally since he took over? I think probably they have, but it's a tiny amount. But they're terrible. You know, it's like I don't think anybody could see. I would question his judgment just in taking the job in the first place. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I, I don't quite know why Donald Love was put in on Tuesday night, but I also don't think that's the thing that's relegated us. That's going to relegate us. Sorry. Um, Fulham are on fire they beat Sheffield United 3-0 uh, that's after beating Wolves uh, then Derby in successive games Alexander Mitrovic scoring twice 5-4 for him Fulham just a point behind Villa they have played a game more uh, Gary Monk's first game in charge of Birmingham ended in defeat against his old club uh, Middlesbrough won 1-0 Patrick Bamford with the winner he's found some form somewhere uh, after scoring one goal in 26 he's now scored seven in the last four and he has grade seven violin uh, Borough are now in the top six and he's the JCB here and he's the JCB heir, yes. And he's got good A-levels as well. Um, Bohu Mill says, what do the pod think about Gary Monk? I can't tell if he's good but unlucky with quite a high profile, bad jobs, or not very good and mining the payoff mountain. He's good at getting sacked. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there you are, you wanted a question and you got an answer. Uh, Bristol City slipped to defeat at Preston. This is Tim writing below the line. On the day of the game, I love the podcast, but you ignored Preston's win at Bolton at the weekend. If we beat <laughs> Bristol City tonight, no doubt you'll ignore the result and focus on Lee Johnson as an up-and-coming English manager who uses the science of video. I mean, uh, any Bolton might have been big news in like 1890. <laughs> but... <laughs> Would you have any thoughts on Lee Johnson, anyone? He seems like a very nice fella. He doesn't, he uh, does. But, yeah, yeah I... I wasn't even aware of Preston v Bowler, so it wasn't a deliberate <laughs> snub. I mean, I, I don't think anything I remember, you know, you else came, has happened no, this week. No, that's... you came in on Monday morning and you said, I don't want to talk about Preston. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not doing the pod. That's what you said. I seem to remember. Maybe I got that wrong. We, we need to, Tony Paley, the, the Guardian Racing editor, is a big Preston fan. We might should get him in sometime to, to do a Preston special. Uh, I'd be happy with a Preston special. Uh, Derby's winless run. Anything to talk about a plastic pitch is good for me. I, I'm aware it's not there still. Uh, Derby's winless run extended to six games uh, late. Can I annoy from- Preston fans even more by saying their two lead titles shouldn't count? Because? Because Sunderland applied to enter the league and were told they couldn't because they were too far away. Uh, so Sunderland <laughs> entered the league in, ni- in 1891, which is when it becomes a truly national league. So Preston's two titles and Everton's title, first title, uh, are not a national league. They're a sort of Northwest Midlands combination. And well done for winning it, but not a national title. <laughs> there you are, Tim. Very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Derby's winless run is extended to six games after Massimo Luongo's late header for QPR earned them a draw. They're still fifth, but now nine points off the automatic Massimo spots. Massimo Luongo cost me £257. <laughs> did you buy him once? No, oh. I I did a treble uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, Villa to beat Sunderland, uh, which is unforgivable, obviously, but, you know... Oh, come on, fair it's, enough. It's high <laughs> finance we're talking here. Um... Millwall to beat Hull and Derby County to beat QPR and Bio there cost me, yeah, with his late equaliser. Uh, Mr. Longo, if you're listening, if you could yeah. send uh, PayPal, PayPal Barry, £257. Well, I'd just settle for 15 That was a stake. OK. But if he wants to send me 257 I will also take that. See what happens. Uh, at the bottom as well, not much change. Burton lost at home to Brentford. Hull, as you just heard, lost at home to Millwall. Reading and Bolton drew. Strong words from the Hull boss, Nigel Adkins. We were a disgrace in the first half. The early goal affected the whole team and they were mentally weak. I didn't expect that and I was flabbergasted by what I saw. He also said he should have taken off deadline day signing Angus McDonald in the first minute. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. What can you do in the first minute to, to, to merit being substituted? Anyway, Aston Villa play... play uh, anyway, Aston Villa play Wolves on Saturday evening in the, the big game in the Championship. Uh, in League One, only one game. Rochdale moved off the foot of the table with a 3-0 win at Walsall. And in League Two, Accrington moved a point uh, within leaders Luton after beating Morecambe. Third place, Notts County drew with Cheltenham. Mansfield in fifth conceded a last-minute equaliser against Lincoln. Uh, the captain, Luke Waterfall, was then sent off for Lincoln during the celebrations after he appeared to throw a bottle into the crowd that had just been thrown at him. Uh, Cambridge United didn't play, importantly. In the checker trade, who's interested? Shrewsbury beat Yeovil 1-0 in the semi-final. They'll face Lincoln on April the 8th. Uh, on loan Norwich striker Carlton Morris with their headed winner. Crowds of uh, crowd of just over 4,000 watched that one. They averaged six and a half. But when you get to Wembley, then everybody goes. That's what happens. No one cares about that trophy until the final. No one cared before all the under-21 teams, 20, whatever it is, came in. Are, are there any under-21 teams left? If you just heard, Shrewsbury play Lincoln in the final. Oh, sorry. On April the 8th. Thanks for concentrating. I know when I talk, you don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> There's very little time between me mentioning the two sides <laughs> and you asking that question. Uh, thanks for fading interest anyway. <laughs> Um, oh God! There was a smattering of games across Europe, and the thing is, people listening are doing other things. You're sitting like a two yards away from me. Um, there was a smattering of games across Europe. Uh, the most significant of which came as Barcelona beat Espanyol on penalties in the biennial once every two years Supercopa de Catalunya, a Catalan football federation competition between the two best sides in Catalonia from the previous season. Uh, there was much. Uh, there was a, a sort of B team vibe to this game. Lots of youth players, including the 19-year-old Marcus McGuane, only the third ever Englishman to play for Barcelona. The first since uh, Gary Lineker left in 1989. Who was the first? Everyone looks at Wilson. <laughs> the first Englishman. Mm. Do you want a clue? Mm-hmm. It's about 15 years after Preston shouldn't have been given the league title. Okay, so talking 1904. Okay, sorry. 25 years <laughs> after Preston were unfairly awarded the uh, League One title. Uh, so somebody shirking the First World War. Yes. Like running off to play in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Jack Greenwell. Oh, I've heard of him. Okay, I think uh, there's a section on him in Rory Smith's book, uh, Mister. I think he did. Did he go to South America and manage there? He did. He managed Peru. Yeah, there you are. Mm. Somebody obviously told me that in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Catalan Channel TV3 called McGuane a historic player, a youngster Barca poached from Arsenal, not the other way round. England's women suffered their first defeat under Phil Neville last night. They lost 1-0 uh, to the host of the USA in the She Believes Cup. Unfortunate own goal cost them the point. A draw would have been enough to lift the trophy on goal difference after they beat France 4-1 and do 2-2 with Germany. But not a terrible start to Phil Neville's reign there. Uh, and that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll be back with part three. Look at the Europa League. Welcome back to part three. Europa League tonight, AC Milan v Arsenal, 6pm. Can Arsenal save their season? Jonathan Wilson. It'd be difficult. I mean, Milan, having had a terrible start of the season, they're unbeaten in quite a long time, haven't let a goal in six. Uh, Arsenal are terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know how good this Milan are, but they're definitely playing better than they were three or four months ago. And Arsenal are definitely playing worse than they were three or four months ago. So I'd, I'd be surprised if Arsenal went through. Arsenal haven't lost five games in a row for nearly 41 years, Barry. Right, OK. I didn't know that. Um, I, I would reasonably confident Milan will beat them. Um, the Arsenal I saw playing against Brighton, just confidence is on the floor, no leadership on the pitch. Uh I, I, and and Milan are doing very well under Reno Gattuso. I don't watch enough of them to know whether he's just like a vibes man who's good for morale or actually really good at what he does and knows what he's doing. But whatever it is, it's working. I, I would be fairly confident Milan would beat us. So. Um, just quickly, do you, do you know who's in the final of the checker trade? <laughs> I, I do, <laughs> but only because... You, 
in the interval between part two and three, I said to you, if you were to ask me who's in the final secretary, I still don't know. And someone said Lincoln and Shrewsbury. Well done. Um, uh, any other Europa League games uh, catch your eye? Dortmund at home to Salzburg, Lazio, Dynamo, Kiev, Leipzig versus Zenit. They interest you, Jonathan? Or not? Yeah, Leipzig, Zenit's interesting. Why? You can't remember one. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, John? You don't have to be interested. You know, it's a free country. Um, I have to say, the, the Milan Arsenal one is the one that's taken my full attention in the Europa <laughs> League, which is always to the forefront of. Uh, but I, I don't know if you to cover this, but um, Arsene Wenger's quote of the weekend was, "Did you hit? Do you do this one? Do it. Let's do it again. I love it. This one, when you have just the trousers on, did you do this one? It's easy to take them trousers off as well, which I think that's a fault in someone's transcription, actually. Uh, when you're completely naked, you have to find a shirt and try to put it on again, and then you'll dress normally again. You're, not, compl- right, you're just wearing a shirt. You're still, you're still not wearing trousers. He's completely gone, hasn't he? He's completely <laughs> he just gone. just trying to go a little bit Carlos Carvajal and just basically just said... So if we take that literally, he's just saying, if you don't have any trousers on, you need to put some trousers on. If you don't have any clothes on, you need to put trousers and a top on. I mean, that's essentially well, what he's is, saying. Isn't he saying, if you're completely naked, you need to put a shirt on? I think completely naked is a better look than only wearing a shirt. <laughs> yeah, there's no more uned- unedifying look than actually shirt and socks. That's a, that's the worst possible look. I, I, I suppose you might be about to go to bed and if you put on something a long kind of nightshirt type thing, you maybe get away with that. I've heard that quote before. I've no idea what no, he I've means. Got, no, I, like I mean, not literally, not a clue what I've, he's I've, talking I've read about. It, I'm just reading it again. That's why I was my she, attention she was like I just is, don't understand it. If you're half dressed, it's easy to panic. And you, if you're half dressed and trying to get dressed, it's easy to panic yeah. and become fully undressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what, what's he attaching this? No, I think isn't he saying? Listen, to? if you lose one game, i.e., one item of clothing, yeah. it's easier to get dressed than if you've lost all your clothes, i.e., all your games. That's going to take longer. So it's going to take longer to come back because he's totally naked. I oh, lost all his games. But the thing is, if you're totally naked after losing four games, yeah, what happens if you lose five? You start taking your skin off, or I mean, <laughs> lopping off limbs. <laughs> yes. but he never mentions underwear at any point. Do you think? Do you think Arsene goes commando? Almost certainly. Well, we know for a fact, don't we, Barry? That John Hartson is always commando yeah. when you see him. On, on the telly. Oh, incidentally, uh, cats do have foreskins. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. It's um, sort of like a, a bristling effect, apparently. Oh, really? Um, I looked that up. Uh, no worries. Good luck in the edit, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> Premier League games. Uh, we've already touched on the Manchester and Liverpool game. Uh, big games. Because the bottom of the table is still fascinating, isn't it? West Brom aside, uh, Brighton are in 10th with 34 Stoke nineteenth with twenty seven. Where uh, where's where are we drawing the line? Do we are we saying Swansea down, or do we think Bournemouth, Everton, and Brighton could still fall into it? I think Everton can still fall into it if things keep going badly for Big Sam, because I, I I think there's a club where I, the, previously he's talked about wanting to stay at the club. I think that sort of he's burned that out a bit now. The fans really don't want him there. Um, I think it's almost the, the, the ideal situation for Everton, right? That um, yeah, Everton fans he didn't want him, but he has. He's going to ensure almost certainly that he yeah. get relegated. But he's done badly enough; he's not going to stay. So they've kind of got what they wanted. Still in the Premier League, I, I still that. think they could go. Well, I th- see. I, th- I just they're good at home, though, aren't they? I mean, I think they're th- terrible I think away. Thirty-seven points will be enough, and so Everton would need one win from the last. Uh, uh, nine games. Yeah. Surely they'll do that. And they're home to Brighton, who've done really well. Uh, 34 points as well. You just wonder if one of those sides, those two or Bournemouth, will have that free fall. I mean, it's possible, but I just, I just think you know, one win for any of them should be enough. Huddersfield, Swansea, uh, level on points. That's a mass. That's a huge game, isn't it? Who, who would you fancy, Barry? Uh, is that Huddersfield? Yeah. yeah. My my Huddersfield fixture knowledge <laughs> coming to the fore <laughs> once again. Um, it's a hard one to call. I mean. Swansea did brilliantly last weekend, but they weren't up against much. West Ham were an absolute shambles. Uh, Huddersfield, decent at home. Yeah, that's very hard to call. This game is Wagner against Carlos Carvalhal, and they met in the playoffs last year. Um, of course, Huddersfield won on penalties. Um, they're level on points, but 
towards the end of the season, I was looking at Huddersfield's fixture list. Um, the three of the last, their the last four games are Chelsea away. They've got to hope Chelsea's season is over. Uh, Huddersfield, uh, they've got Everton, and they've got City, and then they've got Arsenal. Now, actually, that looks quite a difficult fixture list, doesn't it? But actually, all of those seasons could be over by mm. then, and they could win all four. True. Uh, Newcastle, Southampton as well. Um, they are 16th and 17th. That's huge, isn't it? Uh, would you like Newcastle to go down as Sunderland fans? No. No? No. no you're not those I don't want them to fans. win anything, but I don't want them to go down. <clears throat> yeah, but you don't want them to be two divisions away from you. Yeah, the longer we don't have... Given that our recent record in derbies is excellent, the longer we go without playing them again, the better. Um, and West Brom play Leicester. Uh, much, uh, much, says, below the line, says, me and my colleagues use the phrase, like West Brom in March, to describe someone who's taking it easy or slacking off at work. We're saddened that we can't use this phrase anymore. Like Burnley in December just doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> Burnley go to West Ham. Uh, Winston Reid is out for the season for West Ham. Uh, very interesting reports coming out about the protest that was going to happen. It was planned for Saturday before the game. It's now been cancelled on safety grounds after advice from Newham Council. Bizarrely, the safety threat comes from West Ham's own fans, specifically the real West Ham fans group. There are lots of different fans groups. It's very complicated. Look, you just feel for the West Ham fans in all this, don't you, really? Well, I think at the heart of it is the dissatisfaction with the London Stadium uh, dissatisfaction with the owners, who were, of course, embroiled in all this. Uh, I think this week, did West Ham report profits? Uh, something. The figure I've got in my mind is 43 million. It might be 34 million. But it's it's uh, the, the club, they're, they're a profitable club, yet the management of the team uh, and what's going on at the stadium, which is not a great place to look football, that's at the heart of this problem. Um, and of course, moving them from the bowling grounds to there is what's caused this problem, and all these, I suppose, fissures in the support. Um, other games that we haven't discussed yet in the Premier League: Chelsea play Palace. I suppose Palace's only hope is that Chelsea have more than one eye on the Barcelona game, um, which would give them a chance. But Palace still have huge, huge injury worries, don't they? And they did beat them early in the season. But yeah, I mean, the injury worries, I think, are a big concern for Palace. Uh, on Sunday, Arsenal, Watford, uh, and Bournemouth. Spurs, and I guess Bournemouth will just be hope that Spurs won't be able to pick themselves up after the devastation of the Juve game, which we spoke about what feels like about six hours ago. <laughs> um, uh, another side struggling, or another side having difficulties with their owners is Dulwich Hamlet. Uh, you go watch them, don't you, Barry, sometimes in the sort of football hipster uh, world? Very okay. Not as often as I should have, but yeah, I've been to Champion Hill a few times. Nice little ground compact houses one side supermarket behind it and it's just the center of a big controversy now it's owned by a company called meadow partner property developers who in the last couple of days uh, 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 jack pitbrook is the from the independent is the, is the guy who's across this on twitter uh, he's a dollar chamlet fan but um Meadow Partner, they wanted to redevelop Champion Hill. Southern Council got a, a court order for preventing them from doing so. And earlier this week, Meadow Partners uh, basically evicted uh, Dulwich Hamlet, who I think owe about 120 grand in back rent. And then in an act of extraordinary venality and pettiness told Dulwich Hamlet that they'd trademarked their name and that Dulwich Hamlet could no longer call themselves Dulwich Hamlet. You know, they said... Why would you do that? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? They they did it. It was just an act of of malevolence and petty spite uh, (laughs) because uh, Dulwich Hamlet were slagging off Meadow Partners on... Twitter and saying nasty things about them, uh, which, you know, and they'd every right to. You know, if you're the solicitor who, who drafted that letter or statement telling Dulwich Hamlet, you know, you can no longer call yourself Dulwich Hamlet, you can't call yourselves the Hamlet, you can't use the initials DHFC, you'd, you'd really have to have a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and wonder where your life is going if, if that's what you're doing. Could they be Hamlet of Dulwich? Um, well, no. Uh, Meadow Partners, 
the the backlash to this was so uh, vociferous, due in no small part to Jack Pitt Brooks' heroic efforts, that uh, they've reversed the decision and and sort of they're not going to do that. But Donald Shamlet. They face a very, very uncertain future because um, Meta Partners seem determined to, to send them into liquidation. So they're looking now at uh, maybe trying to ground share with other non-league clubs in in London. And and the future looks quite bleak for them. And it's an awful shame because they're a very popular club in South London. They do a lot of good work for, for the community. They do get a bit of a slagging for being achingly hip. Uh, I've, I've, you know, made fun of them in the past, but it's it, it's a really nice place to go and watch football, and uh, it will be interesting to see what happens. I think the, the thing about non-league football is is clubs tend to rally around and help each other when they're. But this in, is a wider problem for non-league football in London generally that grounds are so expensive when you the value of the land for what you can do with it yeah. in terms of housing. Um, and yeah, we've seen sort of Kingstonian being evicted. I mean, in slightly different circumstances, very different circumstances. But once you lose your ground, it's really, really hard to find a. And I suppose play. playing devil's advocate, which I, which I don't want to do, if you are a residential property company and you want to turn it into houses, I mean, you could do it in a nicer way. But you know, if, if you want to make lots of money, which they do. But they were denied permission by the council. They weren't denied permission by Dollar Channel FC, were they? So there's a reason why the council have denied them permission. So that issue is with the council. So so now they so so they can't build property on it. So well, not in the form that they initially applied to. I suppose what they're trying to do is take the club away, uh, so that, that that they eventually go back and get the planning permission through. I think they they tend to do that with pubs and stuff like that, don't they? When pubs are suddenly converted into flats, but they have to go through all types of nooks and crannies to get there and this seems to be a sort of extended version of that well we all wish Dulwich Hamlet the best of luck um, did anybody see the uh, Sanchez Watt story yeah it's a great story Sanchez Watt playing for Hemel Hempstead in the National League South gets booked for kicking the ball away the ref says what's your name he says what the ref says what's your name he says what he says what's your name he says what second yellow red card it was rescinded uh but it's a lovely story. That, it reminds me of the. This is one for the uh, the kids here. Do you remember Captain Sensible's record? I said Captain. I said what? Which is actually that's what it said all the way through the record. I said Captain. I said what? That's that's what it reminded me of because oh. I'm that sad. <laughs> well, but for who's on first base? Uh, Abin Costello sketch, isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. Feedback corner time on the casting of the movie The Irish Road Trip. Matt writes: If you're looking for someone to play Barry in your road trip podcast miniseries before I saw what Barry looked like I always pictured him as Sam Allardyce so you can you can ask Big Sam quite like to do a road trip with Big Sam uh, someone who I've forgotten sent a picture of uh, did that thing on the internet where you can say what celebrities you look like I look like Brad Garrett uh, which is what Raymond's big brother in Everybody Loves Raymond uh, Barry you got Louis Theroux <laughs> Uh, I'll take that Jonathan you got Aidan Gillen that's very generous I that know. is very generous pleased with that and uh, Barney got David Hyde Pierce <laughs> I love that <laughs> Miles from Fraser. Niles Niles oh yeah sorry <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant isn't it um, that was from Harry on Twitter and Yellow Ball says Max's obsession with Barry's death and how it might happen is getting a bit concerning so Stop far we haven't <laughs> So far, with his own knife that he stole. So far, we have him falling out of a window in clothing, a clothing accident and Barry's ashes residing on Max's mantelpiece. Uh, we seem to have skipped the funeral. What music would you like to be cremated to, Barry? Oh, um, that orchestral music from Platoon, where... Um, Is that a string? Yeah, that... Can't think of a good name, says, I thought the pod were very harsh uh, last week on Barry Van Dyke from Diagnosis Murder. <laughs> At the end of each episode, he'd rugby tackle the murderer. A key role. Pretty strong evidence of your pro-Jessica Fletcher bias. Uh, he's spot on. And finally... I hello- watched my 50th episode of Silent Witness last week. It was a big moment. What, do you take notes on... I've got a chart, so I don't watch any of them twice. What? You what? what? So I've, got a, I've got a chart of every Silent Witness episode. Right. Oh, my God. And I cross oh, no. them off when I've seen them. 
you know, on the road trip, I was just like, he is a, he's sort of like, he's a mixture of Rain Man and Johnny Five from Short Circuit. <laughs> That's what he is. And, you, and you've just admitted that in public. Is it, Do I have a huge fan of Silent Witness? Is it only Silent Witness or every TV show? Well, if you're a huge fan, surely you know what you've seen and what you haven't well, seen. And, and surely you don't mind watching him twice. I just want to see them all once. And then maybe I'll go back and watch my favourites again. Okay. I want to make sure that I don't miss any out. Right. Well, could you not just... They normally have box sets where they go once of ten, and then you watch that ten. And then the second series, you watch once of ten, <laughs> and then you tend to know where you've been. First, first series, only eight Well, whatever. <laughs> like, I watch NCIS Los Angeles, which is all over the place. There's about 14 series. I know where I am. Well, I, I don't need a, a wall chart. <laughs> Do you actually Lots like the fever, pro- Do you actually like the program? Yeah. Okay, I just needed to ask that. I, th- I think it's because got- you have Twitter previous for any time there's a football reference on Silent Witness. You you do your own forensic analysis yeah. of whether it's valid. I think or it's not. respecting the form. <laughs> I, I have this image of Wilson's kitchen now. It's just like post-it notes and bits of string <laughs> pictures of um, yeah do you have your own incident room for the crimes so you pause it and then run through the evidence yourself I, I'm, I'm yeah I'm not I just want you to enjoy it Jonathan I think you might get a bit more out of it I'm, I'm not a forensic pathologist John that would be silly but maybe you should be we'll be back on Monday The Guardian.